If I didn't have this sling on, I'd do a cartwheel all over this stage about right now. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. Wow. Cross made the difference, didn't it? It sure did for me, I tell you that. The Lord Jesus Christ did. He was on the cross. He was dying for my sin and your sin. He made all the difference in the world. Thank you for being here today. I want to welcome our contemporary service joining us. I think I think all of our students have gone to uh, Strength to Stand, so we want to pray for them. Boy, they're having a rally about right now. So I want to pray for all of our students and Alan and Katie and Samantha and those that went with them, leading them. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for this great church. Uh, thank you, for all of you, for praying for me during my surgery and my wife. Both of us had surgery. There's a sign in our house that says, Macklemore Manor. <laughs> uh, right? She's in a brace and I'm in a sling. And so I tie her shoes and she puts my shirt on. So uh, we're married and loving each other, right? Working together. But thank you so much for all the cards and for the food and all of those things, for the bluebell ice cream. Can I get a witness? Wow. I was going to think about dieting, but not now. Amen. Chocolate cake, all kind of stuff. You've been so gracious, so good to us. You know, I don't know how people make it without a church family. You know, we've had a couple of members in our church that's lost loved ones this week. Beverly Hosteller lost her dad, and Charlie Duke passed away. We're having that funeral tomorrow. One of our dear saints, Miss Dot, Mr. Charlie. And so I was just ministering with them and talking to Beverly and at the hospital with the family. You know, and I thought about that. Patsy and I, you know, we're kind of stowed up right now. But you've been ministering to us. A lot of you have been praying for us and all of that. How do people make it without a church family? How do you get by with people loving on you and praying for you and concerned about you and and all expressing it through email and text all over the place. It just feels special. I think I'm going to have my other shoulder done next year. Amen. It's just, it's been great. <laughs> no, no way. Amen. Rehab. No way. But anyway, thank, I just wanted to say that because you have really, really shown us what Lindsay Lane is all about. And that's the love of God. So thank you so much. Open your Bibles today. Back in the book of Revelation. We're in the book of Revelation. We want to finish this series. We're in chapter 14 today and 15. We're going to look at chapter 14 today and chapter 15 as we continue to move through the book of Revelation. It's been a great study thus far. And I can't wait to get to these last chapters. I'm telling you, we're going to have church up in here. Amen? It's going to be awesome. It's really... By the way, have you read the end of the book and you know we win? I've already done that, and you will. I can't wait to get into that. But today we're going to be in chapter 14 and chapter 15. Now, now, I want to pray for us, and I want God to open up our hearts and open up our minds. I want you to listen. You know, a lot of people say, well, this is Revelation. It's above me and all of that. Well, we're going to try to make it as simple as we can. We're going to read the text, and so you'll learn something. So let's ask God. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. Ask Him to preach through your pastor, teach through your pastor, but we have to have ears to hear and a heart to discern what God's saying to us today. All right, so let's do that. Father, would you open up our hearts and would you open up our minds that we might comprehend your word? Father, we can't do that in our own intellect. Lord, there's a lot of people that's intellectual that can't understand the word of God. And then there's 
people who don't even have an education that really know the Word of God. So, Lord, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your Holy Spirit that speaks into our hearts. So, Lord, would you speak to us through your Spirit today in this text, Lord, that we may comprehend what you're saying to your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in chapter 13, we saw the appearance of the unholy trinity. You need to know the Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the unholy trinity is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So we saw that in chapter 13. We saw the emergence of the two beasts. How Satan empowered the, the, uh, the Antichrist in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And then we saw the, the false prophet in verses 11 through uh, 18. We saw how the, the Satan empowered these, the false prophet and the uh, Antichrist. In chapter 14 and 15 today, we're going to see the announcement of God's judgment. Now, God's judgments are going to be coming in chapter 16 through 18. We already saw a glimpse of that in the, uh, some previous chapters. But in chapter 16 and through 18 is the final half of the tribulation period. We'll get into that next Sunday. So chapter 14 and 15 is a prelude to the messianic judgment. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent him to save us, to save all of us, the Jews and the Gentiles. And, of course, God's got a plan for the Jews. We'll deal with that in the millennial kingdom. We'll talk about that later on in chapter 19 or 20, I believe it is. And so we'll get to that. But this chapter 14 and 15, John gives us insight once again into heaven. And we're going to talk about the heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion, as we'll see in our text today. And so uh, he gives us insight into the power of God through Jesus Christ that redeems the church, that redeems those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the saints of God. And we're going to see how God empowers the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to see a picture of heaven, how we're going to be celebrating as Christians. We're going to see these saints who are already in heaven, John's going to let us look into that, and we're going to see that as we look at the redeemed of heaven. And by the way, one day we'll join them, and together we'll be singing victory in Jesus. Amen? And so I'm going to talk today about the voices of victory. The voices of victory. My wife and I love watching this series called The Voice. I don't know how many of you watch The Voice. It's about music, and I like music. So we've been watching The Voice. It's about trying to get the, the one that has the best voice. Of course, now it's about teenage voices because they own iPhones. Amen? They rule the iPhones, and you vote through iPhone and all of that. But it's a great thing to watch The Voice. But today, we're going to look at the voice, the voice of God Almighty. So we're going to hear His voice today. The, vo the word voice is mentioned 11 times in these two chapters today. 11 times we're going to hear a voice speaking, if you will, of God from heaven. God speaks loud and clear. God speaks to your heart. God speaks to my heart. Whether he's speaking about the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ or he's speaking of the warning of the judgment that's coming, God speaks loud and clear. In your outline today, here's a truth. In the last half which simply means the last three and a half years of the tribulation, God in heaven are not silent. God is not silent. He's speaking loudly. In these two chapters today especially, he's speaking about his coming judgment. And so this is something you and I need to be aware of. There's coming a judgment day. 
on planet Earth. We've been talking about this in our circles, about how bad it is today. How chaotic and how evil and wicked our world is becoming. We're seeing in the political arena, we're seeing the division, the dichotomy, if you will, between all of our people. And it seems like America is just sinking and sinking. Well, I got good news for you. God wins, we win. And so we have victory in Jesus, but God is speaking to our hearts. And so we need to hear from God. He is not silent, He speaks. So I'm going to talk about that. Number one, we're going to talk about the voice of the redeemed or the voice of the witnesses. The voice of the redeemed. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Let's look at those first. Then I, John, then I look, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written on their forehead. And I heard a voice. Here it is, the voice. I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters. And like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their hearts. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 redeemed saints from the earth. And these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb. Wherever he goes, these were the redeemed from among men, if you will, being the first fruit and to the Lamb. Verse 5, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, question. Who are these 144,000 that John talks about here in verse 1? Well, scholars kind of disagree. Some believe that they're the 144,000 Jews that were mentioned in chapter 7, those from the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the ones he's speaking of in this text. And then there's other scholars that believe that these are the redeemed of the earth who come out of the tribulation period. These are the saints that were saved during the tribulation period, and now we're seeing them in heaven around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, where John is seeing all of these saints, these 144,000, who were redeemed out of the tribulation period. And so the text lends toward that, uh, toward that uh, scholarly theory. It really does. And so uh, we saw the 144,000 in chapter 7 of the Jews, and now we're seeing a rapture, if you will, per se, out of the tribulation period of the $144,000, 144,000 saints. All right? Wow, I've been paying, getting ready to pay taxes. Amen? But anyway, <clears throat> uh, let's look at this. Now, in your outline, first of all, look at their stand. Where are they? Then I looked, and behold, a lamb, that would be Jesus, standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, by the way, and with him 144,000 having their father's name on their forehead. Now, we see their stand. We see them on Mount uh, Zion. They're in the heavenly city. Now, understand this. Mount Zion is representative of Jerusalem, but John is seeing them in the heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to show you something. If you'll look in Hebrews chapter 12, just for a moment, turn back to your left, you don't have to go far, Hebrews chapter 12, and he gives us insight into this heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 12 and verse 22, 
Hebrews 12, 22. Watch this. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city, that's Jerusalem, of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And we see, you're going to see in a moment all of these angels that's involved in chapter 14. And so you've come to Jerusalem. You've come to that heavenly city, seeing in the future. He's looking up into heaven, and he's seeing the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 23. To the general assembly and the church, this is the ones who have been in, uh, these are the ones who will be in heaven from the church of the firstborn, first fruit, who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just man made complete. So we saw that in verses 1 through 5 in chapter 14. And now it's validated by Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us about the new Jerusalem. And by the way, you know the new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven, right? On planet earth one day in the millennial kingdom. And so John is seeing this heavenly Jerusalem and he's seeing these 144,000 saints. They're standing there with Jesus. Now, notice not, not only they're... Uh, by the way, listen to this. God always has a remnant of faithful people no matter how wicked the world may become. Aren't you glad? God always has a remnant of faithful people. No matter how bad the world gets, there's always a faithful remnant like us and the Jews as well that God is going to rapture out. And so uh, chapter 14 gives assurance of God's people that he cares for them. Not only were they standing, notice number B, their song. They were singing. And by the way, we're going to be singing in heaven. A- amen? You need to start singing, get used to it. We're going to be praising the Lord. Look in verse 2. I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of thunder. I heard the sound of harpists playing in their, on their hearts. And there was a song they were singing, a new song before the throne. And all the creatures and the four creatures and the elders could not even sing the song because only the 144,000 redeemed knew this particular song and all of those around there. Now, notice that. They are singing. They are out of the tribulation they have come out of the tribulation period. There's a new song, and they're singing that new song together. Matter of fact, the, uh, the prophet Joel gives us insight to that prophecy, if you will. Psalms gives us that as well. Uh, Psalms 33, verse 3. Sing to him a new song. By the way, it's a new song we're going to sing. Sometimes we don't like singing new songs, but in heaven, everybody's going to know this new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalms 40, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and trust the Lord. Now, I want you to see something else about this. Notice that uh, notice there's going to be musical instruments in heaven. Do you know that? He talks about the hearts. We're going to, they're going to be playing harps in heaven. There's going to be music in heaven. There's going to be music instruments in heaven. And so we're going to praise the Lord with our voices. And so it's going to be an awesome time. You know, one of the reasons that we sing, you ever wonder why we have singing before we have preaching and all of that? Why is that? Because singing is usually there to help encourage us to prepare our hearts for the message. So when you sing, it helps lift your burden. And by the way, you need to learn to sing. So I can't sing. Yes, you can. Just hum it. Amen. Sing. It helps lift your spirit. It really does. Whatever's going on in your life, it helps just to sing. 
Gonna lay down my burden down by the riverside. Oh, yes, I said, down by the riverside. Amen? You can do that. Why? I got a burden. So what? Sing about it. Praise the Lord. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. See, when you're worshiping, the emphasis is not on you, it's on Him. It's on Him. And you're praising and worshiping Him. So don't get caught up in all this stuff that we complain about. Think about what we're doing. We're worshiping God. We're going to do this in heaven. There's going to be harps playing. It's going to be music, angels flying around. Amen. It's going to be awesome. And so I'm getting ready. Now notice, see their separation. Verse number 4. These are the redeemed separated among men. Now these are the ones, I believe it's talking about the 144,000 in the tribulation period. And now we see them in heaven. We see these saints who've been redeemed from the earth from among men. It says in verse number 4. And they're worshiping the Lord. And so it's an awesome thing. Now why are they in heaven? Because they're saints. They're Christians. They don't belong on earth any longer. Amen? They're not earth dwellers anymore. They're heavenly citizens. And you and I belong to heaven as well. Philippians 3.20 gets validation of that. Our citizenship is in heaven, which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will, we will also be transformed in our bodies that will be conformed to His heavenly body. You see, when you and I are raptured, we're going to take on a new body. By the way, there will be no more braces and no more slings in heaven. Amen? No more surgeries, heart attacks, cancer, and so forth and so forth. He'll wipe away every tear. Every tear. No more death. No more pain in heaven. And so that's why we can just sing and worship God and praise Him. And see, they're separated from this earth. We're no longer earthly dwellers. Don't get too attached to planet earth. And then we see their sanctification. D is their sanctification. Notice verse 4 and 5. They, they said the phrase here, they, uh, these were not defiled with women, for they are virgin. It's talking here about how they are abstaining from the pollution on planet earth. From all of this uh, immorality and pollution that's going on here. These are the ones in Hebrews chapter 13 who didn't defile their marriage bed. That's what he's speaking about here. These are the ones that were holy. These are the ones that had been changed by God and they were living the life of the, of the Christ. They had purity and they had morality. The term first fruit, these, it talks about there in verse number four. These are the first fruit. These are the finest, if you will. These are the ones that are Christians who were taken out of that tribulation period. All right? And so there we see the voices of the redeemed. Number two, we're going to see the voices of the angels. Now, I want you to pay close attention to these next several verses about these angels. I'm always intrigued about angels. I believe there's angels right here on earth. We know there are. That God sent messengers. <coughs> and, so, and so we may even encounter one, not even realize it. But we know they're going to be in heaven. Now, look with me, if you will, in verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 6 and 7. The voices of angels. John sees at least six different angels. In a, in a, in a, each one of them have a particular message that they're going to give us. And so let's look at number A. Number one. The angel number one in verse six and seven. <coughs> Excuse me. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, 
having the everlasting gospel to preach. Now, that's very unusual that an angel would be preaching the gospel. But it is. Look what it says. Having the everlasting gospel to preach who dwell on the earth to every nation, every tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and the sea and the springs of water. Notice what this angel, he's pronouncing judgment. Judgment is coming. (coughs) I don't know what's wrong with my voice. Falling apart, amen? (coughs) But anyway, he's saying judgment is coming. He's preaching, preaching the gospel. He's warning. He's warning. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And so we need to be aware of that. And by the way, who is the judge? The judge is Jesus. Judge Jesus is coming back to judge this earth. And so these angels are proclaiming the judgment is coming. See, the nations are right now, and while he's preaching to them, they're worshiping the beast. They have the mark of the beast in their forehead and on their hand, and they're worshiping the beast. They don't fear God. (coughs) And you, you see people all around us, even today, have no reverence for God, no fear of God, no fear of God. And so we're seeing that. And it's going to get worse, by the way. Verse number 7 reminds us that God's in control. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea. He alone desires our wor- deserves our worship. Now, look in verse number 8. Number 8, B, we see Babylon is falling. Look in verse 8. Here comes another angel. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is falling. Babylon is falling. The great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You see, on planet earth... There's no other city mentioned in the Bible other than Jerusalem more than Babylon. Babylon represented the, 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 the wickedness, if you will, of the people. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar took uh, Israel's captive for 70 years. Daniel, the three Hebrew children, and all of those. And so when we talk about Babylon, by the way, chapter 17 and 18, when we get to chapter 18, there's a whole chapter about Babylon and what it means and the reference there. And so we'll get to that later on. Uh, but Babylon is God's name for the world system, for God, for the system that's going on in our world even today. Uh, the beast, the economic, the political turmoil, all of these things that Satan has similar has control of. All of those are referenced to Babylon, if you will. And so uh, the Hebrew children had a disdain against Babylon. Once one because they were. Uh, captive for 70 years by King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and also because of the polluted, the immorality, and all of those things. Now, number C, another angel is going to talk about escape God's wrath. Wow, watch this warning. Verse number 9 and following. Then a third angel followed them and said with a loud voice, here's another voice, if anyone worships the beast and his name and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they shall not rest day or night. Forever and ever, who worship the beast 
and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so the angels is warning, escape God's wrath. He's warning. The one angel's preaching the gospel. And God's doing one last effort to get people to hear the gospel. And so the third angel is directed especially to those who are following the beast and have uh, the mark on their head. Now, he uses a phrase here that's interesting. He says, those that drank of the cup of God's wrath. And so this is an image of judgment, God's wrath. Jeremiah 51, verse 7 says this, Babylon was a golden cup in, the, in God's hand that made all the earth drink her wine. Drink her wine. And so we see the, the wrath of God poured out on planet earth. Now, here's a principle. I'm going to read it and want you to follow it on the screen. Wrote it down. Watch this. God's judgment and wrath are just. Do you believe that? God's a just God. His judgments and wrath are just. Keep in mind that God has repeatedly warned sinners and give them opportunity to repent. The first angel invited sinners to trust God, turn to God, and the second angel warned the Babylonian system would be destroyed. If people persist in their sins after God sends judgment and warnings, then they have only themselves to blame. Now here's what people say. Well, I thought God was a loving God. I thought God was a just God. Now listen to this. We're here today. You're hearing Pastor Dusty preach. How many times have you heard me preach about Jesus and tell you that He died for your sins? He's invited you to come to Him. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll redeem you and restore you. How many times have we done that? And people still say, no, no, not today, not for me. And then comes the rapture. The church is raptured out. But even then, in the tribulation period, God is sending angels even to preach. Fear God. Warning. Trust God. And so some will be saved during that tribulation. They won't have the Holy Spirit like we have it today. It's already raptured, pulled out. But God's still in control. God's Spirit's everywhere. And so God's even then, even then He's a loving God. Even then He's a patient God. And people are going to refuse because many of them have taken the mark of the beast. They've fallen into the Babylonian world system because everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to fit in with a crowd. And even then it'll be a lot, lot, lot harder. Because it's going to cost you your life in the tribulation period when you accept Christ. Because you don't have the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell. And you'll either starve to death or be martyred. But right now today, church, you have an opportunity to receive Christ and miss that kind of judgment. The question would be, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you receive Christ? Why wouldn't you come to Jesus and let Him have control of your life? And see, He is a loving God. He's a patient God. God's not willing, 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Now look in verse 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. There are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Verse, look at verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write. 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labor and their works will follow them. You know, I thought about that. I thought about Mr. Charlie Duke passed away yesterday. That verse is his verse. It's our verse. Those of us who die in Christ. Mr. Charlie was a Christian. He was a saint of God. And see, here's a promise from God's Word right there in verse 13. All of us who die in the Lord, notice that, will rest with Him forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? The moral of this story is this. It's better to reign with Christ forever than with the Antichrist for a few short years. It's better to endure persecution patiently now than to escape it and have it judgment all through eternity. Now, D is reap the harvest. Look in verse 14 through 20. Look at this other angel, verse number 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, this is reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already seen this in Daniel chapter 7 and in Revelation chapter 1 verse 13. We've already seen that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as Flip Wilson would say, those of us who can remember that, here comes the judge, here comes the judge. And I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. By the way, he's not coming back on a donkey. He's coming back on a white horse. He's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's not coming back that way. He's coming back as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And He's bringing judgment in His hand. And He's going to deal with planet Earth. All of those who are left here, who refuse to receive Christ, He's going to deal with them. And that's what He's talking about in verse 14. He's going to reap the harvest. And look at verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to Him who sat on the cloud. That would be Jesus Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest is of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Notice the harvest is ripe, if you will, with those who refuse the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm grateful, and I hope you are, that Jesus drank my cup of judgment. You see, when he went to Gethsemane, the Bible says that the cup, He took the cup of wrath of man and he drank it for us. And everyone who would believe in him and trust him, he has drank your cup of sin, your cup of wrath. He took it on himself and they nailed him on the cross. He nailed your sins and my sin, whoever would believe in him. But those who don't, he's bringing wrath and judgment. It's very clear. Verse 15 and 16, we see the image of this harvest. Now, Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, my question would be, how is your garden growing? What are you sowing Are you sowing seeds of the flesh? Seeds of 
wickedness and things like that? Are you sowing seeds to the Spirit and reap the spiritual everlasting life? So it's very imperative that we understand that. Look in verse 17 through 20. Now watch this. Here's another angel. What's these angels? This is really interesting. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also had a sharp sickle. And then in verse 18 is another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. He cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sickle, your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of, of earth, for the grapes are fully ripe. Notice that. The grapes are fully ripe. Now look in verse number 19. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the raft of God. And the winepress trampled outside the city and blood out of the winepress, came out of the winepress, up to the horse's bridle. And for 1,600 furlongs or almost 200 miles. It's a hyperbole, if you will, that John gives us there. But it's also how drastic, how devastating the end times are going to be. Now, verse number 20 is a picture of Armageddon. We'll get to Armageddon next Sunday in verse chapter 16, verse 16. But what we see here is a picture of the end time judgment when Jesus himself, the judge comes for the harvest for those who are left, the mark of the beast. And then we'll see later on in Revelation how he deals with the, with the, with the Antichrist and with the false prophet and especially with the dragon, the devil. He's going to deal with all of those. But he's going to come back at Megiddo where there's going to be the battle of Armageddon. And we'll see that next week, hopefully. But we see how these angels come and how the judgment is the prelude of these judgments in chapter 16. And next Sunday, we'll look at those seven vials very quickly. But that's the judgment that's coming. We're going to see it in detail next Sunday in 16 and 17. But we'll see the great. Now, this is kind of interesting. If you study the Old Testament, you know that Israel is referred to as a vine. And God's the wine dresser. But they're referred to as a vine. Also, Jesus, in John chapter 15, refers to the vine and we're the branches. He's the vine and we're, we're connected to Jesus as the branches. So was Israel to God. And so we see this imagery of grapes in the wine press. And if you ever studied that, they go in there and they, they, they just stomp on those grapes and they make the wine. And see, he's given an imagery here of this wine press. Have you heard this? Ever heard this terminology? The grapes of wrath. The grapes of wrath. This is where this comes from. This is the very text of where the grapes of wrath come from. In other words, you know, the grapes of wrath is the judgment of God on those who refuse to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is all a prelude to God's judgment. Listen, the prophet Joel. Listen to what the prophet Joel said in Joel 3.13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats are overflowing, for their wickedness is great. Now, when Jesus comes back on planet earth, it's going to be full. Everybody's not going to heaven. Do you know that? Broad is the way to destruction, and narrow is the way to heaven. There's going to be a lot of people left here on planet Earth. 
And it's this picture, this image of this wine press. They're all in this wine press. And Jesus is coming and he's, and he's, he's, he's bringing judgment. And like the wine would run out, verse number 20 says the blood will flow. All the way up to 200 feet as a hyperbole that he gives here. It's just a picture of how devastating the judgment's going to be. Now, I know it's not a pretty picture. Sin's not pretty. Amen? Sin devastates. But I'm telling you, if you look at Revelation and look at this study that we're going through, you're going to see that God's a just God, but He's also a God of His Word. And so that's why the urgency is for you to know Christ and for me to know Christ so we won't have to go through the judgment of God. Why would God judge the earth that way? Because of sin. God has promised, God has promised to judge the sinner and the sin. But all of those who come to Christ, if you say yes to Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're all sinners. But Christ has made a way for us to escape. Amen? And so, uh, now let me just finish up. The voice of the victors. The voice of the victors. We've seen the voice of the redeemed, the witnesses, the voice of the angels. Number three, the voice of the victors. And look in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Now this is good news. I want you to watch this. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Now, John's looking into heaven and seeing all this futuristic stuff. And he's saying there were seven angels having the seven last plagues. And in them, the wrath of God is complete. Now, what he's referencing here is chapter 16. In chapter 16 are the last seven plagues, the seven vials. We've seen the seven judgments, the seven bowls. And the seven vials, if you will, or the seven seals. The seven bowls, the seven seals in chapter 16 is the final judgment. Now watch this. What's happened is, and we've been looking at this tribulation period, but it's moved to the final stage. We're in the last half, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And at the last of that, it's when all of this devastation is going to happen, and then comes the judgment, and then all the judgment, the great white throne judgment in chapter 19, and all of that lost are judged, and all of the saved people in heaven are rejoicing and worshiping to God. And we're going to look into heaven in chapter 21 of Revelation. We're going to see us in heaven, the whole world in heaven, that the, those who are saved. Now... The wicked world is about to see the last activity on earth. That's in chapter 16. The very last activity of these seven last plagues. And what he mentions there. Look in verse 2 and 4. 2 through 4, chapter 15. And I saw something like a sea of glass, John says, mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over the image, and over his mark, over the number of his name, 666, yet victory over that, over the mark of the beast. And over the number of the name, standing on the sea of glass, having hearts of God. Now these are the redeemed, these are the saints. He just talked about the devastation of all the judgment, of all the wrath. And now he looks, there's a sea of glass. And in this sea of glass are the saints of God with hearts and singing and praising with victory, he said. These are the ones that have the victory. Look in verse 3. What are they doing? They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, and he quotes Deuteronomy here, the victory song of Moses. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. 
Just and true are your ways. O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, glory your, glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgment has been made known. And so we see the victory. Yes, it's devastating to look at the judgment of God. But that's why I'm excited about these last few chapters of Revelation. We see the victory, the voices of victory. Now, here's the final word for today. Do you know Christ? You say, well, I don't know if I understand all of that. Well, you need to understand this. You're either going to heaven or you're going to a place separated from God if you don't know Christ called hell. You need to really understand that. And so, I want to give an invitation. It's not my invitation. It's God's invitation for you to be saved. For you to miss the judgment that's coming and have Christ in your heart. Now, here's the neat thing about that. It's not just so you can miss hell and gain heaven. That's well and good. But the reason you need to be saved today is because He will change your heart and change your life. I'm living proof. I lived 27 years as a hellion. I mean a hellion. I've done a lot of things that I'm not very proud of. But here's the neat thing about that. I don't worry about those things anymore because He covered them by His blood. When I went into my closet and I fell on my face at 3 o'clock in the morning, I said, God saved me. He changed me. He forgave me. I didn't know all about revelations, all that stuff. I didn't understand all of that. I didn't understand about church. I didn't understand nothing. All I knew was I was a hellion. I needed Jesus. I was going to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to be with my family. That's what I understood. And if you know enough today to know that you're lost, you can be saved. You know why most people aren't saved? Because they're not convinced they're lost. They're not convinced they're lost. Well, I'm going to get in. I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good husband. I'm a pretty good dad. You don't go to heaven because you're pretty good. You go to heaven because you're saved. Because you're convinced that Jesus is the Christ. He died for your sin. He rose again to give you everlasting life. And once you come to that conclusion that you're a sinner that needs the grace of God, then there's hope for you. You can be everlasting with Him in heaven. But you've got to make that decision. You've got to believe what I'm teaching today and what I've just shared with you is the truth. And you can look it up in the Bible yourself. I'll help you with that. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Then verse 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? Call on the name of the Lord. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. Simple as that. And then He'll change your life. You can't do it on your own. He'll do it for you. So if you'll just pray that, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And I want to just make it public. I'm ready to settle this in my life. I'm telling you, God's going to save you. He's going to do something miraculous. See, it's supernatural. Salvation is supernatural. That's why people don't understand it. That's why people don't have a clue what Christianity is about in our land today. Because they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me now? And I'm going to pray for you. Dwayne's going to come, Donna. And I'm going to pray that 
God would speak into your heart these truths that I've shared today. I've given you a picture of Revelations 14 and 15, how devastating the judgment's going to be, the crowd that's going to be here on earth, the crowd that thinks they're having a good party time now. I'm telling you, one day judgment's coming. And I would never want you to be part of that. God's made a way of escape, as we talked about today. If you'll put your faith and trust in the name of Jesus, by faith, if you'll receive Him as your Savior, He'll save you and change your life. I'm praying for you today to be saved. There's others in this church I'm praying. They need a church family. I I pray they would come today and join the church. They may be Christians and they say, well, I'm a Christian. I just need a a church to be a part of. I pray they would come and say, Pastor, I want to be a part of this church. And some's got burdens on their heart. They're dealing with things and it's heavy and they're hurting. And you need to come to this altar and maybe ask somebody to come with you and just pray. Say, Lord, help me. Help me through this situation. I call on the name of Jesus. Father, would you do what no man can do? And that's change hearts. That's help people to understand that you are God and you love us more than we can even comprehend. And I pray right now that people would receive Christ in this service. They would come forward today unashamedly just to say, I need Jesus. We're not going to embarrass them in no way. We're not going to single them out. We're just going to right here take them back and let someone share with them. So I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you would draw people to you. Amen and amen. Would you stand? I'm going to ask you to come. we got people here to help you. We want to help you. But it's your decision. It's your call. As we sing, you're forgiven if you'll believe. Come on. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Come on, make your way right now. I'm accepted.